0: To turning your Bibles with me uh, this morning to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians one. I heard something so funny this week. I was um, I was with a family and they were telling me stories of the, of their family and their upbringing and. They said uh, one of their sons, when he was young, he was writing a story about a citizen, I mean about a, a city, and all about that city, and the people that lived in that city, they were the bananas of that city. And so the father came over, and he was a bit confused, and maybe a bit concerned, and said, now why are the people that live there, why do you call them bananas? And the little boy said, well, you see, I couldn't spell citizens, and so I called them bananas. <laughs> and we were, you know, of course, that leads to, well, how's your banana ship? You know, and on and on and on. Okay, Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. Um, Paul, let, let me give you some background information, and we're going to really focus on verse 13 and 14. So Paul is is. Primarily writing to Gentile believers, but of course there are Jews there is around the city of Ephesus. And he he opens with the Trinitarian nature of the gospel and of salvation. So if you look at verse four with me, he says, The the Father, he talks about the Father's role, the Father chose you to be in him before the foundations of the world. And he tells us why in chapter two, because we're dead in our sin. And then the Son in verse 7. You have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses through the, the work of the Son. Now before he moves to the work of the Spirit in verse 13 and 14, he says the Father's plans have always been to unite in heaven and earth everything under Christ. That's verse 10. Now If you think about what the biggest divide of the day was, it was Jew and Gentile. And so he rolls from verse 10, yeah, he's going to unite everything. Now look at verse 11. In him, we, you see that word, we have obtained an inheritance. Stop. Notice, we means we Jews in Christ, you still have your inheritance. So so Paul, a Jew, is speaking, he starts here with Jews. You still have an inheritance. Let me read you Psalm thirty-three, twelve. 12. It sheds a little bit of light on that idea of inheritance. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he's chosen as his inheritance. So the Jews understood that we are God's inheritance. We are his people. And Paul says, yes, that's still true. You are his people. Verse 12, you are the first to hope in Christ to the praise of his glory. Okay, so what about Gentiles? If you're going to unite everything, look at verse 13. Notice how he transitions. In him, you. See that? He goes from in him we to in him you also. You Gentiles also by faith are in Christ. And then he sums it up in verse 14. Of our inheritance. You see what he's saying? we Jews, you Gentiles, it is our inheritance. In other words, the greatest divides in the world are joined together in Christ, united, is what he's saying. And it seems like then, okay, if we're if it's our inheritance, we are one people, it, it seems like God might do something to actually join them together. Maybe all Christians would get a cool tattoo or an, we'd know an awesome handshake or a TikTok dance or something. And, and he did something better than that. He, he gives every believer the Holy Spirit. So, so if you're a believer, you have this guarantee, you have this mark on your life. He calls it a seal of the Holy Spirit. So if you would, look at verse 11, and we're going to read from verse 11 to 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Remember, that's the Jews. Now verse 13 In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray for our time. O great God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you for the Spirit. He authenticates the genuineness of our faith. He is your seal, your promise upon every believer's life. He is, he is how you know your children, male, female. You set us apart by the Spirit. It's the Spirit whereby we know we are adopted. It's the Spirit that was everything that Christ was to his disciples. You are to us and even more it's the Spirit that transforms us and takes us to redemption and ensures we finish the race. Lord, praise you for the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and now the work of the Spirit. Lord, speak to us today through your Word, by the power of your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, the editor of Christianity Today, his name was Carl Henry. He said that he wished Christians of our day could have an easily identifiable mark that would di- distinguish what a believer was. And so in the 70s, they had the mark of you you might remember this. They pointed up, right? That that became the mark that you were a believer. And some over history of taking the ichthus, the sign of of the ancient Greek sign of the fish, as their mark that they're a believer somewhere across. Some carry Bibles. But the truth is, Jesus has actually given us a mark for every believer. Ephesians 1. Paul says when you heard the gospel and you believe, you actually received a seal upon your life. You received an insignia, a sign, Jews and Gentiles. And this is how believers who are completely different in ethnicity, in skin color, in culture, in language, this is how we're united this is how southern rednecks like me and northern Yankees like my wife who's very sweet. This is how we get along so well. We have the same spirit. And so we, we have oneness in Christ through the power of the spirit. So, so think about it like this. In, in our children's catechisms and let me stop. My wife is converted. She is a southern belle now. (laughs) She is just southern as a turnip green. Okay. Think about it like this. In our children's catechism, and we ask, right, where is God? Maybe you remember saying that to your children. And the answer they said is, God is Yes, God is everywhere. He fills the heaven and earth. But the Bible is clear that he is more especially in some places than others, right? And so in the Old Testament, we, we see that he dwelt in the land above, uh, in Israel, above all other lands. And in Jerusalem, above all other cities. And, and then in Jerusalem, in the temple, above all other buildings. And then there, in the Holy of Holies in the back of the temple above all other places in the temple. And then even there, his, the depth of his presence dwelt in the ark, in the mercy seat. And Paul is saying, you Jew and Gentile, are now his inheritance by hearing and believing the gospel. And his spirit now dwells in you more than anywhere else. He is the seal upon your life that you truly are his disciple. So here's how I idea mean I did today, that the spirit is God's promised seal guaranteeing your eternal inheritance as his children. So now there are three things that we want to see about his presence in your life. First is this the Spirit is God's promise to you. Okay, so look in your Bibles. Look at verse 13 with me. In Him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised. You see that word? Promised Holy Spirit. And when you hear that, you think, okay, When was that promised? And we need to back up. We need to understand a few things about the Old Testament, and particularly Old Testament worship. In Old Testament law, when kings and high priests, they were inaugurated, they came into office, they were set apart for the work, they were anointed with oil, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was God's seal upon them for the work and the office that they were called to. And so the prophets then begin to tell us about this king that was going to come. He was going to be the Messiah, the Christ. And one of the ways that you would know him, Isaiah 42, 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, I have put my spirit upon him. The spirit's just not going to come and go. The spirit will be upon the Christ. That's why in John 1, John the Baptist says this. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him, on Christ. So in the same way kings and high priests at the beginning of their ministry they were anointed with the Spirit and so we see Christ, the Spirit comes upon him and it remains. And John says that's how you know that that is the Messiah. But what about his people? Isaiah 44 Three and four, there's also a promise for the Messiah's people. I will pour water on the thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring, my blessings upon your descendants. They shall spring up amongst the grass like willows by flowing streams. Notice, I will pour water on thirsty lands and streams on dry ground. People are spiritually compared there to dry ground, to thirsty land. And it it means that there's nothing growing in their life spiritually. And notice God's promise. I will pour my spirit on your offspring, my blessing on your descendants. There's going to come a day when the spirit's going to be poured out Not not just on kings and high priests and the Messiah, but on your descendants. And their lives are going to be transformed so that they actually go from dry ground to bearing fruit. Now that sounds like Ephesians, doesn't it? Ephesians 2.1, you're dead. The Father chose you to be holy and set apart to bear fruit. (laughs) It's the same message. See, here is how he describes the believer. We are like willows by flowing streams. The Spirit will not come like a rainstorm one day and be gone the next. The Spirit will be permanently placed in your life like a flowing stream. So where there was once dryness and fruitlessness, now there will be life, grass, trees, fruit, because the Spirit will be running through the life of every believer. Now, Jesus picks up on that, doesn't he? Right? Right? John 7, verse 37, 38. Listen to what Jesus says about this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his hearts will flow rivers of living waters. Now he said this about the spirit whom those whom believed in him were to receive. Jesus is using the same language, Isaiah 44, Ezekiel 39, Joel 2, where God promised, Pour out the Spirit on individual people. And Jesus says, if you come to me, everybody that comes to me, the promises of going from thirsty, dry ground to ground that's alive with a new stream with fruit coming out, you will be like that tree. That will come out of your heart. That is what's going to happen to my followers. And what Paul is saying is, that's the promise. And every believer, Jew or Gentile, you receive that. That's the promise. So Isaiah describes the unconverted heart as dry and lifeless, just like Paul does in Ephesians 2.1. And I want to ask, okay, practically, what does that look like in a very religious city like Dothan, Alabama? Well, I think it looks like an unconcerned, indifferent, neither hot nor cold Desire when it comes to worshiping Christ. Where interest in the world always takes precedence over interest in Christ. So there is a difference between saying that, particularly in our culture, yes, I'm a Christian, which is the normative, and then being converted whereby the Spirit enters your life. That's the reason Jesus said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. It is the difference between a dry valley and one with a river flowing through it. You can think of it in terms of um, knowing and not knowing. So in our culture, the religious person who's not been converted, they know the externals of our faith, right? (laughs) They they know the language. They've been educated in many ways in how to, to imitate the heart of the believer, the life of the believer, so they might know how to pray at meals. They might know how to say amen at certain things. They might know how to dress up and come to church occasionally. But to them, all those things are just dry ground. Because the Spirit is not given them grace like a river feeding a giant willow tree. But for the true believer, like Christ has said, they've received the gift of God, the Spirit. And they know something very different They know the experience and presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. They know that He is and has been transforming them. They know that their desires have changed. They know they have an assurance of grace on their best day and their worst day. There's real spiritual nourishments in times of prayer and reading the Word and worship. There's something happening to me. There's something nourishing and satisfying going on when I'm in prayer, when I'm in the Word, and when I'm worshiping. This is the Paul promises. He says, Jews and Gentiles, in Christ, the Holy Spirit has been given to you as a seal at your conversion. Now, let's go to the second thing. Okay? When we receive that promise, when we we believe the gospel, we receive it, the promise is fulfilled in us, then what? It's point two. The Spirit is the seal to those who hear and believe. If you would look at verse 13 with me one more time. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was poured out, Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus died on the Jews. And then the question is, the major question of the day is, okay, but what about the Gentiles? Two words, look in your Bible, heard and believed. Two words in the Greek, when you translate them, they're the exact same tense in the Greek. And he's saying, when you heard in the past and when you believe the gospel, then, right then, you receive the Spirit, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. At the same time, believing and receiving, regardless of your background. So regardless if you're the chief of sinners or regardless of your ethnicity or where you come from, the moment that you heard the Gospel and the moment that you believed in the Gospel, you received the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the promise was to you. Okay? Okay? So, what was it that they believed? Look in your Bibles. You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. It, it literally says, You heard the good news which saves, and you believed, then you received the Spirit. Th- there is a particular message about Jesus that you actually must believe to be saved. P- please catch that. There, there are so many truths about Jesus. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus is an amazing redeemer. Yes, Jesus was an amazing man. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. But alone by themselves, those messages don't have the power to save. He's saying there is a particular message, something you have to hear and something you have to believe to actually receive the Spirit and be saved. What is it? Well, that's how Paul starts off his letter so often. Ephesians and Romans. Look in verse 7 with me. Look what he's already told us. In him in Jesus. We have redemption by his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. This is how he starts Romans. Verse 16, 17 I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, then also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by the faith. The message of the gospel is this. In Christ alone, you are redeemed. Not by your life, not by your righteousness, not by your works, but by his blood, his life, his sacrifice in your place. In his blood, we have forgiveness of our sins, and we have the righteousness of God to us. This is all of grace, never to be earned, only to be believed and trusted in. And when people hear and believe this good news, then they are sealed with the Spirit. Okay, Rusty, what does that mean to be sealed? It means... God has confirmed you as his child. He has put a mark in the same way that a, an ancient king would have a ring and an insignia on it and he might have a letter and he put the wax, he put it in his insignia saying this is mine. These, this letter, the contents is of me. So that's what he's done with you. He's put an insignia upon your life to say you are a genuine child of his. Every believer is unified in Christ, not because we go to the same church or we look alike or we talk alike, we're from the same part of the world, but because we have the same Spirit. So notice this there are two qualifications of receiving the Spirit it's hearing and it's believing the gospel message. Not always being on a spiritual mountaintop, not exercising supernatural gifts like tongues or healings or prophecy. When I was a believer, for three years, I was uh, living in Asia, and there were some um, missionaries. I needed a ride to the capital city, which was 14 hours. And some missionaries said, yeah, just jump in with us. And um, I got in the car with them, and and quickly I realized I was being ambushed. (laughs) And so they were asking me, they said, um, Rusty, uh, tell us, have you received the Holy Spirit? And I said, yeah. I mean, again, I'd only been a believer for three years. And I said, yeah, when I, when I became a Christian, I received the Spirit, and He's been transforming me since. I'm still a sinner. He's changing me. And they pounced. They said, well, do you prophesy? Do you speak in tongues? Do you heal people? And I said, no, I, I don't do those things. And they said, Rusty, well, I'm sure you're a wonderful Christian brother, but you've not received the Holy Spirit Now pray with us now and you can get him. And I was, I didn't know what to do. I felt jipped off. (laughs) I felt confused. Listen, here's what Paul wants the church to understand. The Spirit seals every person who hears and believes the good news of Christ. Seal, the mark. And the great proof that you have this seal is that not that you are sinless, Or not that you are always doing supernatural things in the power of the Spirit. But Isaiah 44 describes that your life has gone from being spiritually dry and barren to spiritually alive in a relationship with Christ. That you are now a tree planted by rivers of flowing water and out of your heart comes fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on. Let's go to the third thing. For all who hear and believe the gospel, they receive the Spirit who is a seal, and this seal also is a guarantee. Look at verse 14 with me in your Bibles, and we'll close with this. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory? And when I read that, maybe you also, you think, guarantee of what? What? Let's start with that word, look in your Bibles, pledge, deposit, earnest. Because Paul describes the Spirit as something paid beforehand. He's saying the Spirit is like a deposit, it is like earnest money. And he uses this exact same thing three times in the New Testament to talk about your conversion. So in the same way that if you buy a house... You put a small amount of money down as a pledge or promise of the future payment. And so the spirit of Christ in you is, yes, a seal that you are his. It's also a small taste and a deposit of what eternity is going to be like for you. It's a deposit upon eternity. And so... That means what you experience now in the Holy Spirit, you will experience in full in eternity. But the fruits of the Holy Spirit that you have now, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, these things, the transforming power of the Spirit now is simply a small deposit of everything that you're going to experience in eternity. That's what he's saying. It's just, he's a deposit. So, okay, Rusty, so what is God pledging to the believer through this deposit? The word he uses there is an inheritance. It's an inheritance. Look at verse 11. In him, Paul says, we Jews have obtained an inheritance. Now we say in the Spirit is the guarantee and deposit of an inheritance from your Father in heaven to everybody who believes. Right? He assures us of our salvation, and His presence in our lives makes that salvation certain. The Spirit given as God's first fruits to you is directly related to what you will experience in your eternal inheritance. Last thing, notice what He says. Until the redemption of the purchased possession now I, I didn't think much of that sentence at first but I've come back to it and come back to it again and again and there's two things I see. First is the Spirit's going to seal you and he's going to be upon you until the day that you are fully redeemed and receive that inheritance. You you're sealed by the Spirit. You're not going to lose that if you're a believer. It, Now, we might have times, and Paul talks about this, and we're going to get into this in future weeks, where we quench the Spirit, maybe we grieve the Spirit, but His presence in your life is never going to leave because then you wouldn't be His child. He is the seal. He is the authentication that you are His. That's what Paul is saying. Until the day of redemption. There's one last thing there. Notice that. Until the day of redemption, which means... The Holy Spirit, and let me stop. Sometimes I can be very discouraged when I watch the news. And you can too. And I think, oh Lord, look at the church. And, and why are we not having renewal and revival? And it seems like America and the, the world, that the number of believers is going down. What's going to happen? The Holy Spirit is going to continue to seal and guarantee Jews and Gentiles until the day of redemption. In other words, he is going to continue to call and draw. Verse 4, those that the Father chose, those who he gave to the Son, the Son redeemed. Until redemption, the Holy Spirit will continue to draw them. And that gives me the greatest encouragement to go to the hardest places and do missions. Missions. And it gives you the greatest encouragement that you can go across the street to your neighbor who might be the foulest of persons and you think he would never love Jesus. And the promise is the Holy Spirit is going to continue to redeem people and seal them until we receive our inheritance. And that makes me go, yes, I can do it. It's not about me. It's about the Spirit working. I want to close... um, With this, the amazing difficulty to redeem you from the power of sin and death shows the value and love the Father has for you. John Bunyan, let me paraphrase one of my heroes, John Bunyan, he says it like this, the greatness of your soul is shown by the greatness of the price paid for it to make it an heir of glory. His precious blood. We value things according to the price paid for them. Your life has been redeemed by a price that the Son and the wisdom of God thought appropriate to pay for it. Which means your life is eternally valuable to God. Let's just say that you're at uh, Lake Martin and you're there at Chimney Rock. If you know where that is, everybody jumps off. And suddenly there are six boats that come in with divers, so many divers, and there you can tell a lady has lost a ring, and all the divers go down, and you think, oh, that's interesting, and they're searching around the bottom 60, 70 feet down, and then they bring their equipment down. They've got giant suctions, (laughs) they're working the bottom, they've got metal detectors And you think, wow, this is really interesting. Well, you come back the next Saturday, and they're still there. They're there all summer looking for this one thing. And you would conclude, wow, that ring can't be bought at Walmart. That ring must have unbelievable value to the lady who has lost it. And so the Trinity... Looks down at fallen man and creation, dead to sin, lost, and at the greatest price, chose to redeem you to His family, to seal you with His Spirit. He is glorious, and you are valuable to Him. Father, I just I praise you, um, the work of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in our salvation. God, and thank you for the sealing. I'm just so thankful that we're not out there going, well, how do I really know I'm a believer? How do I know I have enough faith? Thank you, God, you've given us a seal, a mark. And it, it changes us, it transforms our life and points us in a direction to know and love Christ. And yet, even when we stumble, even when we're dry, even when we're going through hard times, oh Lord, The Spirit's there and the Spirit's working. It's drawing us back. It's wooing us. When we're in sin, it's convicting us. God, thank you so much. And, And in the end, the Spirit is the seal, the guarantee, Lord, of our eternal inheritance. Praise you, Father. Because if left alone, we would go wayward. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.